I used to be pretty conscious of turning lights off when I was leaving mm-hmm. a room back when they used 60 watts per bulb. Yep. Now that they use three, I'm like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 224 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I've got the morning sniffles. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Septube Spree. 2019. Mm, that is my favorite spree of yep. the year. Yeah. Before we get started, we have a warning. Swears. We're going to do them. All over. We're going to do them all throughout sentences. So get ready. <laughs> We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, uh, who are supporting our podcast via money. We'd like to thank especially Speak, who's a new supporter this week, who left a message. Hi, fellas. I've been going through a long rough patch, and I binged through your podcast, starting from episode one. Wow. So the, Where did you the, find the it? Lost, the lost file. The lost file. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've brought me a ton of comfort and joy, so thank you. Don't forget, you make a difference. Thanks. That's nice. You got this. I hope yeah. things look up for you. You can do it. We'd also like to thank our recurring supporters who uh, donate on a, some kind of recurring basis, monthly, I believe. And we would like to thank all future supporters who have their wallets out right now. Just, and are just money getting ready to do it. Get yep. ready to let us grab those money. And of course, if you can't give us money, there's all kinds of other ways you can support us by leaving reviews, mm-hmm. telling coming people. coming to the Shenanicon, which is happening this weekend. The main thing is coming to Shenanicon. Yep. Yeah, maybe we should just talk about that. Let's, Let's do it. it. Let's up. just hit, hit it. All right, Shenanicon. It's happening this weekend, which means our next episode will actually be the live episode. The live recording that we will be doing at Shenanicon. Assuming no technical difficulties. Yes. Yeah. Which <laughs> might be a big assumption, but yep. we will have Fat Bard there uh, setting everything up for us. Well, he'll so, be there ahead of time. Right. So if, But then if, if any- we fuck it up between when he sets it up <laughs> yeah. and we actually record. If anything now. happens, it's definitely our fault. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's coming up. Uh, it's going to be Saturday, September 28, 1 to 5 p.m., followed by a get-together afterwards that will go on who knows how long. Pretty much as long as people can want to. I mean, yes. within bed because we're still old people. We got to you know, sleep so. at some point. Yeah, we'll go to bed at a reasonable hour. Uh, so at Shenanicon, we are going to have the live podcast episode. We're going to have a meet and greet, kind of just hang out, chat. We're going to have dem- playable demo of Scuffle Buddies. As well as a uh, a kind of a, bri- a big presentation about showing all the different parts of Scuffle Buddies and what happened with that game. This is the lost game that is never going to be seen. And by I do want to say else. we uh, we booted it up on Saturday. Seth got it all tuned up and started walking through it. And the best part is it's been so long since I've actually played yeah, it. A long time. I don't remember almost anything about it. Yeah, we so were kind of fumbling around trying to figure out what to do, how well, things work. But it was so cool because we get to experience it basically as as people will essentially experience it on Saturday. And it was kind of magical. And I was <laughs> super awesome. into it. And I yeah. was like, ah, oh, I wish we, we could have figured this out because it's going to be so fun. Yeah, so we're going to be talking a lot about uh, kind of what our thinking was as we were building the game as well as kind of what went wrong and why we felt yeah, like And we now in to- retrospect – kind of why why what it is couldn't have worked but how we could salvage the components yeah, yeah. um so that's going to be really cool and exciting we're also going to have a, a level head relay relay competition yeah so basically we're going to be choosing a suite of levels ahead of time uh and then people are going to be split into teams and throw down uh, we figured out how to do like dual streaming we're, we're going to project up onto the onto the uh, big screen if it works the projector on the, on the wall it should be a lot of fun. It should be a bit raucous. Uh, yes. We'll see what happens there. And of course, we're going to have Pipe and Hot merch 
available at Shenanicon, including a new uh, level head T-shirt, mm-hmm. which is pretty dope. I'm wearing it right now. It's yes. very soft. Yep. Very nice. And I also want to give a shout out to Chris Gambrell from Discord, who is coming to Shenanicon because his mug broke. He ordered a <laughs> he ordered a coffee with butterscotch mug uh, many moons ago, back when we had our online merch store. His mug broke like two weeks ago, and he knew that the only way he could get a replacement was by coming to Shenanicon, and so he got a ticket and is now and bought, a, <laughs> bought a plane ticket. Yeah, that's so, going to be the most um, expensive mug anyone's ever. Yeah, we might acquired. we might just set that aside for you, Chris. I'm going to be honest, <laughs> you earned it. You know. Yeah. Uh, so again, Shenanicon is coming up this weekend, September 28th, uh, and you can get tickets over at meet.bscotch.net. This is a it's a deliberately uh, limited event, so uh, get your tickets. Smally. Yeah. Uh, don't expect to just kind of show up and have us have a ticket available because we may not. Do so. we know when we're stopping selling tickets? Is that the day of? Day of? Okay. Yeah. Whenever they run out. Yep. So, all right. Uh, let's talk about uh, level head as well. While we're just in kind of the studio news territory. Yeah. Although we should also say, if you if you're coming to Shenanicon, get into the Discord. There's a Shenanicon channel, so you can mm-hmm. talk to other people who are coming, make some other plans because there are a lot of people who'll be here basically the whole weekend. Yeah. And so, if you want to have just more socializing time, meet up with more people, uh, and just get kind of a stronger social bond and compare notes about compare notes. restaurants you're hitting up or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But you definitely got to go to Kate Zone if you're coming to. Yeah, if you Saint can get Louis. to Kate. There's Zone. a long list of food you got to eat, <laughs> which is going to be a little rough, I think. Yeah, you need to, uh, if you can have about 15 meals while you're it's here. What you get need. out the stomach stretch. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> square. Um, all right, so uh, otherwise, level head. We got a patch coming this week. We're bringing out the rebound power. Finally. So this is the power up that lets you shoot a face out of your head. Yes. So your face is now replaced by sort of an op- like a closing an aperture. aperture that opens up and then there's a little ball inside of your head that is a head with a face on it. And yeah. that comes out of your head. I assume that's not where compute resources are for, no. for GR18. Yeah, GR18's – I don't know where – GR18 is more like an octopus, kind of a distributed nervous <laughs> system. Do you think he's got a cloud-based intelligence that just kind oh, of – Oh, that would explain the respawn uh, yeah. concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, how it works. Yes, yeah, so we're super excited because the the – we used to be called the Face Blaster, actually. So before we did all the renames for the power ups, uh, but the rebound has been—it's been sort of like nearly done, about seventy percent done for basically a year. I mean, we've had it just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and this is the weird part about game development. You know, people say, uh, you know, why can't we get some new feature or whatever else in some game you love? Uh, there's oftentimes there's just so much higher priority stuff to get in first um, before some of the shiny objects come in. And so the rebound uh, to me is sort of. It's just one of those big shiny objects if you just had and unfortunately haven't just didn't quite have the the time nor the priority to actually get it in until now. And so I'm super excited about it. We got some new campaign levels that'll be teaching it, uh, which are turned out to be uh, pretty goofy and a lot of fun. And they also introduced the asteroid biome, which we had come in on our last patch. And so it's just been we got a bunch of these heavy hitting patches that are just kind of coming out, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and I think people are going to lose their marbles because the rebound is just it essentially gives you double jump. Right, which everyone's kind of familiar with that concept. You're in the air, you can jump again. Yes, but it does it with the complication, which is that now you're you have a trajectory and you're flying backward, and you shot something out of your yeah, face. It's, and then it's you in can particular, jump on it's a double jump where the second jump is backwards. Yes, and pretty fast, and, and very, very fast. fast. <laughs> so it's just a weird. Like I was playing with it um, while I was building levels, and I realized that because it's just fun. It's just a fun thing to use, even though if you think about it from a development standpoint, like a so the, the whole lore about this, the Bureau of Shipping is finding different ways to get GR-18s to deliver packages, right? So mm-hmm. 
these these different power-ups are really just these sort of modifications to allow GR18 to get into places that normally would not be able to. And yep. so uh, I, th- and I think it's actually on the tooltip for the rebound, which was essentially like R&D kind of got out of hand. But we're just going to use this anyway. <laughs> so we're not exactly sure what this is for. I mean, but you can like if you think of the constraints that could have been involved, you know, because because mm-hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna use a cannon, basically you're using a projectile to give yourself some velocity, right. some direction, right? But further, you need to be able to launch yourself off of it, right? So that you get that two kinds of ways of using it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had limited parts, you know, so if, if the thing, if normally GR18 presumably has to look in front of himself, right? Yeah. So he's got it. Something's got to be going on in the front that has basically eyeballs, right? Uh, but in order for those little projectiles that come out to do their little thing, do, they probably also need to be able to see. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, you know? that's true. yeah, makes so, sense to me. So you got to yeah. have the same. So you have to have your face pointing forwards always, but your face then just also has to be the projectile mm-hmm. because you don't have enough faces. That's you know? true. You, you only got one. You only got the one. Yep. And until you summon another projectile, then you got two faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what I'm excited about is we also plan on at some point. Uh, so we have that opening presentation in Levelhead mm-hmm. where we kind of explain the story of the Bureau of Shipping and why all these things are happening. And one of the things we're hoping to do by the time we get it to launch is create uh, sort of these mini PowerPoint presentations in that same style for each of the power-ups yeah. and kind of sprinkle them throughout the campaign. And basically those would provide some kind of context and story behind what the R&D department of the Bureau of Shipping was trying to do. Yeah. Well, right. problem they were trying to solve when they made these different mods and why know. they ended up with the particular solutions. Yeah, because to me, it's a, there's almost like the infomercial thing, like what you see at mm-hmm. 3 a.m. where they're like, 1999, you can add this, uh, you know, sort of, um, I guess, what would you call it? Like, if you're doing ground shipping, like, mm-hmm. you know, some specialty shipping delivery service to your GR18, if you need to be very discreet, you get the yeah, <laughs> you, know, you get the <laughs> for an extra uh, ten bucks for your delivery. You can yeah. get. It's, it's just sort of this fun, weird riff on like the nightly infomercial stuff and, you know, packaging as a general business strategy, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. What I would love to do is, is of course, as you as you get through the game, the power-ups get increasingly more kind of violent and deranged. Like the first one is like, yeah, you can sneak uh, and you can just get up things, yep. right? And then pretty soon now you're like warping the space-time continuum to travel through mm-hmm. solid barriers. Now you're ba- – and then you're a, basically a tank that can just punch things so hard that they – Essentially turn into a bullet, which seems pretty violent for a just a delivery solution. Mm -hmm. But it must be it must have been useful for something. Sometimes you got to protect the package. You know, if you're sending it into a hostile hostile area, like a mosh pit. Yeah. So if you want to deliver to you know a a live rock concert, there you go. You You got to get 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 people out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So I'm I'm pretty excited to see like what kinds of dumb stuff we get to come up with to explain why these power-ups were necessary. Mainly, so with the rebound, uh, you know, our our speedrunner community and just people who are playing it really effectively always find interesting tech that they can use to do just kind of incredible moves and stuff. Yep. And the rebound, uh, it's one of the few power-ups where it has it has this general feeling of being able to have clutch moments just happen all the time because you can basically walk off a cliff and then fire yourself back up on the cliff right yep um along with a bunch of different things and so because of just the the weirdness of it it's just a very fun toy to play with and i'm really curious the horrifying ways in which people are going to suddenly be breaking it as soon as it's available so yes and and the combat aspect of fighting enemies is really interesting because you can Mm -hmm. only shoot down right so like the the go-to way to fight things is to sort of jump up and then launch downward onto them, but then that also throws you backwards. Yep. yep. So there's a lot of really weird stuff that's going to come out of this. I'm excited. It's going to be great. Uh, all right, let's talk about life. All right, we got to talk about Untitled Goose Game and Link's Awakening. Yeah. But first, I want to talk about the Jevons Paradox. Okay. 
Okay. What's that? Okay. All right. Is it Jevins or Jevins? Jevins. J-E-V-I-N? J-E-V-E-N. Is that the paradox? Sounds like it <laughs> should be a- No, the paradox is <laughs> uh, it's this idea that you can't decrease the usage of something by increasing its efficiency or the resource usage of something. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've talked about in the past, like, as soon as a city says, we want to reduce traffic congestion, so we're going to add another lane. Right. And then traffic congestion either stays the same or goes up, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so this is the Jevons paradox, is that as soon as you make something seem less costly to use, the demand to use the thing goes up oftentimes proportionally or even more than the decrease. Mm. Yeah. Well, you can, even, you can even think of this in the studio with the with the game pipe, which is our automated build system, right? Yeah. We used to make like a build every two weeks or something. Yeah. And then we had the game pipe and then all of a sudden – it was too All slow that we it took 20 minutes to make a build. <laughs> yeah. And so now we had to add four new entire machines yep. to our game pipe so that we could build stuff fast enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Because now that we can deploy builds continuously, we need to deploy builds continuously yep. and we need to deploy them continuously to all platforms. <laughs> yep. And because we're it's so fast, we keep on adding platforms. Right. Because it's yes. like, because yep. now we now can we add can. the platforms. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and also the uh, the need for QA went up. Yep. Right. So yeah. we need to expand. We need to now. We need, we're not only using more resources there, but now we've, we're we're using even more resources everywhere else. So what's the lesson here, though? Because well, the lesson is like, you actually. The lesson is you're always fucked. Well, that's what I was feeling. This, I just this comes uh-huh. from the, <laughs> there were all kinds of predictions, and especially in sort of like the early 1900s, when people yep. were looking at the rise of industry and and just how much more efficient things were becoming through mechanization and on all this stuff. And there were all these predictions of like. You know, right now people are working 50, 60 hours a week, but within a decade oh, yeah, or two, one. they're going right. to be 40 hours. And then by the time we get to the year 2000, people are going to be working five well, hours the, a week. The assumption there was, there was that there was a finite amount of work to be done. And if only yes. we could do it fast enough, right. then we just have leisure time. Yes, but, but efficiency uh, just produces an even greater demand for work. So, of mm-hmm. course, the, the better you are at things and the more uh, the more quickly and easily you can do them, the, the more things you have the to do. The more things you can do. It's kind of like yeah. it's not even that you have to do. It's also that you can do, right? Because if you, if you couple this also with a with certain – with a system like capitalism, right? Where you have to be growing. Where you have to it's be not growing. just about doing the right. same thing It's not thing about being static. Because the fact is that if today, today, if you – if say if you were a freelancer who was really good at what you did and you managed to automate most of your stuff and you build stuff in a really sort of – reusable way and so on there's a there's a point especially in software like you could reach a point where you're actually doing a few hours of work a week and making perfectly fine income right yeah uh but that income isn't going to grow correct right so if you're just a person just doing that you could that could be you could end up with this with this you know four hour a week life and just coast from there on out right uh but for Within within a system that basically pushes you to constantly be growing and to always be seeking more and, and so mm-hmm. on, then now what you're going to do is every time you shave an hour off because your process got better is that's an, a new hour of things that you, you can do else, that right. you can make more money by doing, right? Well, yeah. I think we've talked about the the song at, you know, at the end of Portal a few times now, which is the yeah. we do what we must because we can. Yep. And I think Jevons Paradox is sort of the example of that, which is that now that you have that extra bit of – capacity or that extra bit of time or that extra efficiency you must it. use it you must use it you For actually it's not about well it's not even that you must it's that you're just you're just going to yeah, you're you know? right. and yeah. i mean th- yeah. even thinking about things like led bulbs you know like i used to be pretty conscious of turning lights off when i was leaving a room back when they used 60 watts per bulb yeah now that they use three 
I'm like, meh. <laughs> yeah, you could leave your whole house it on It could overnight. be on the whole day yeah. and it's hardly going to use much power, right? But like yeah, – Because the entirety of our, our power consumption basically now just comes from AC. Air conditioning. That's yeah. the, like, it's the only source of all yeah. power consumption. And so like I, I do consciously program my thermostat so like when I'm outside of the house, mm. the temperature in the house is way higher so that I'm not using much AC. But I also don't think twice about leaving light bulbs on, yep. right? Mm. So like it's possible that now I use more power than I did before – because I'm just leaving lights on willy-nilly <laughs> when previously they were completely off, yep. right? So there's a lot There's a lot to that. Yeah, because I guess the, the thing I find concerning about this in terms of how I think in the, you know, for the future is does it basically just mean that you're always, you're always trapped? Well, this is the is same – yeah, Oh, yeah. If I'm framing well, it wrong. <laughs> it's the same <laughs> thing. Like but this is also just a human thing, right? Because this is the same idea as the hedonic treadmill, yeah, right. right? Which is that – you that we are designed to not enjoy things that don't change. Right. That's where we're we're designed to seek out new things and, and that's where we actually get joy, right? And so the idea of the hedonic treadmill is that it doesn't matter how nice of a state your life ends up in, once you calibrate towards that, now now, now that's your new neutral. Yep. Right. And so you always come get, back down to your baseline. You always come back down to baseline. And so then you just need to get seek something else to get past that. And I think this is the same way that that working works, you know, yeah. it's sure. I, and I mean, and I, and, and I'm not saying that even any of this is actually bad. I think it can certainly become a problem on the head on, on any of these treadmills. Right. Um, but they're not sort of just bad by default because in the end we just get to decide what we do and it doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah. Um, but I know for me, it's certainly true that when I, if I manage to free up an hour and then I think, Oh, I could use that to go learn something that I could then use to speed up my other hours or just right. add new things that I can do mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, I generally think of this as a really cool, great thing. It was also the joke where, like, if you need something done, you ask the busiest person you know, mm-hmm. right? Because they're actually able to do so much more than anybody else, and it's kind of ridiculous. And so they can always just apparently just stack on, you know, more things. Just add more. This is how it works. Yeah, yeah, I think the trick to it then is to realize that because – and this is what we try to try to do in the studio too is just realize that there's always infinite work. Yes. You – no matter how much better you get, no matter how more, much more efficient you get, there will never be an end – to what mm-hmm. you're doing, right? And so, and so, what you want to do is find that balance between uh, spending how much of your time is being spent increasing your efficiency versus how much is spent doing the work, and then put a cap on both of those things. Yeah. Where you just say, like, my the amount of time I'm dedicating towards X, so whether that's you know work or whether that's a hobby or whatever, the amount of time I'm dedicating towards that is just it's gonna I'm gonna put it in here because yeah. I can always overflow it, and I can do that forever. And yeah, I will get a hell of a lot more done if I work. You know, a sixty-hour week versus a forty-hour week, mm-hmm. right? For the rest of my life, uh, but maybe but you still won't get everything done. Yeah, even if you did yeah, work because for twenty hours. Yeah, a week. because every everything you do simply produces more demand for more things yeah. to be done. And actually, I mean, I think that I, I think about this also in relation to game design, which mm-hmm. is uh, every new feature or new item we add to level head, especially the logic features. Yes. So new switches and new ways to detect things. Um, they have never solved a problem. Purely. It's always we've solved this specific problem and now the introduction of the new – this new system, this new tool that players have creates this huge demand for some new set of tools to augment or modify the the tool we just added. Um, Because, of course, once once people have that thing, now they're starting to do stuff that they couldn't do before and when they start doing those new things, now they have – like they find all the holes in doing those new things. So – uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say you're trapped, but it's definitely the case that it might just be how it works. It's just how it works. Yeah, yeah. You, you can never purely solve a problem. Correct. You, and, and you, you can just expose know. 
you can expose the opportunities that are at the horizon of that previous problem. Yeah. Is essentially what yeah. And when I say purely, I mean like you can never solve a problem and then just like that's the only thing that happens. The yeah. problem might be solved. Yeah, they always cascade. You've just into got now thirty new problems that you yep. can figure out. Yeah, and even even in software or or I mean in anything where you can actually have kind of a concrete solution to a particular problem, and so you can you can actually call that done, right? Except by having just put your hands on a keyboard, you've also now increased bugs, right? Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you touch, as soon as, soon as you t- as soon as you looked at it, yep. you've now increased your probability. Of or bugs. the need for refactoring, actually, is or the need for refactoring and, and, and bugs, future yeah. maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, there there just is no such thing as just a a solution, just a neatly just solved done problem. Now, yeah. Yeah. That's probably the important note, which is that you can't think about this as a hellish scenario, even though I mean. Certainly you could. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, you it's, could, it's but very, if you do, everything is like that. What's the that. name of that? Sisyphus. Pushing that boulder up a hill mm-hmm. and then like a bird eats his liver or something. That's Prometheus. Oh. Smashing him together. Right. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> I was getting my myths confused. There's also Tantalus who can't like drink from the water or grab the grapes and so he's just stuck. He's in, just but it's more that, it's more that yeah. what's happening is is you're, you started pushing a, a rock up a hill. Right, and you're getting stronger because you're pushing a rock up the hill. But that rock is also growing because, kind of like you know, when you when you take a snowball and you roll it down a hill and it gets bigger, mm. you're going going the other way. You're rolling it up a hill, right, right. and it's collecting. It's kind of catamari. But also, your legs are just getting just just jacked. jacked. So your legs are getting huge, and this boulder mm. just keeps getting bigger yep. because you're it's just picking up sediment as mm-hmm. you push it up this mountain. And the mountain is you're rolling, tall. so you're rolling a snowball up a hill. Yeah, well, I mean, never, <laughs> never so often. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, but every so often you you got you just stop and you're like, this is far enough. And then you just rest the boulder there. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I don't think that happens. No, I think it does that because, like, at some point you walk away. We talk about those games, right? You you got to quit working on it at some point, even with the forty hour work week idea. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, but then all you do is then you you kind of like glance over and there's another there's boulder no right next. Oh to yeah, you're yeah like, that's what I'm, I'm going to push that boulder. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just certain, it's really this. It's you got infinitely. You large got a whole mountain, bunch of boulders. Yeah, or it's a big slope. Yeah, it's not even a mountain. It's just an infinite slope. Yep, with snowballs everywhere. With snowballs everywhere that you just move up and then you rest them in various places. That's yep. it. Yep. Next so that's end. that's the Jevons paradox. That's now life. we know. Now we know what it's called. Congratulations. Thank we you, Jevon. Praise be. All right, Untitled Goose Game. Let's talk about it, Adam. Uh, I don't have much to say because I didn't play. But my wife played the entirety of it this weekend. What's the premise? Had of, a blast of Entitled Goose. So Untitled, Untitled Goose Game, not Entitled Goose. Entitled. <laughs> Although, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that goose is a little shit. But yeah. so I think Entitled is probably Entitled accurate. Goose game. Um, so I think to me, this is an interesting game period because there's there's been a lot of talk for really all of video games history about how it sucks, how all games are basically just about violence and you just like, it's one thing hitting another thing and that's kind of it. And we talked in the podcast before about how that's just an easy, it's an easy mechanic. Collisions right? are easy. Collisions are easy. And, they're, and, and that's they're, what violence is. Yeah. And that's what violence is. And so, uh, and so every time a, a game comes out that, that isn't about necessarily violence, although in this game, you're just a dick. So, you know, it's it's not necessarily. It's like a, it's low key violence. Yeah, it's low key violence. <laughs> um, but it's but it's such a different way of interacting with things because in this one, you just play as a goose. You can only do you can honk, mm-hmm. you can pick up things with your with your beak, and you can kind of spread your wings out. That's yeah. it. That's all Those you got. That's, that's your toolkit, yep. and then you can walk around, of course. Uh, and you just get checklists of just uh, things to do to harass the people in the village <laughs> that that you're inside. I of. like how they. So I saw some clips from this game. I like how they don't even try to explain why this goose has a handwritten checklist no, and, and can read it. Yep. They don't right? worry about any like, of you just like, let me. I just need to check my checklist. And yep. then it just comes up on screen and you're like, I mean, yeah. Is there a little goose arm attached to it? No, it's just a just piece of paper piece of that paper. kind of floats up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you do things, they get crossed off. I don't know who's crossing them off. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, th- so there's not a lot of, you know, depth of 
story. I mean, there, there's it's just it's it's more of a sandbox puzzle game right. where you're, you're just in a like goose a town, and you got to figure out how to complete these tasks because all the townspeople just have some AI where they're just they're they're doing, doing certain routine. things. Yeah, they're on some routine, but but it's a pretty interesting. It's uh, basically deep Hitman. UI, so it's yeah, it's a basically <laughs> Hitman. That's right. you're, you're, you watch the routine, you yeah, figure you out where you can doing. kind of strike. Yeah, yeah, and so I was watching. I was watching. <laughs> yep. Jenny played, and she would. She was the the part that I watched the most was when she was harassing this farmer, and there was just this long checklist of things that she had to do. And the thing she was trying to figure out was how to get him to put on a certain hat because there's a there's like a sun hat hanging off of a hook, mm. and and that's all you know. It just says get get the farmer to wear the sun hat. You know that's the mm. that's the task. And and she'd been harassing this farmer for probably half an hour at this point. So she <laughs> she kind of knew all kinds of things that she could do to bu- to bug him. She you know, learned his behaviors. Yep. Uh, but it took a long time to figure out because she was trying to figure out how to reach it, and then she was you know dragging a rake over to see if she could climb Stay the rake right. or something, mm-hmm. and and couldn't figure out what it was. But then realized that there was another thing that you can do like, from the checklist, which was to which was to get get the farmer to hit his thumb with a hammer. Mm. And so it's basically there's a little no goose sign. He keeps on like hammering into the ground, and if you honk <laughs> while he's about to hammer, then he accidentally hits his thumb, <laughs> and then he falls over from kind of the surprise of oh, pain or something. Right? And then you can steal his hat off of his head. But yeah, so they actually they were couple, so, they, so it's basically the whole thing is just a bunch of little puzzles like this where you just have this like simple checklist and you have to watch and what's with happening. No guidance. And with yeah. No guidance. So it's kind of an interesting. It's, it's actually a fairly complex puzzle game. Yeah. Uh, that's really well constructed, uh, and it feels like a place. It feels because it, it really feels like the goose has a personality because the way they they animated it really well so that it feels like a goose. Well, it's weird because it, it just walks like a goose, but for it some does, reason yeah. it's menacing. It's like yeah. it's this tunish menacing wobble. I feel know, like I feel like it kind of goes running <laughs> off. So if it's being chased by somebody, then it kind of flaps its wings a bit and starts kind of running off. And it's mm. really and it feels it feels angry when it's doing. Yeah. I mean, they did a really good job of of making that vibe. <laughs> and I will say the art style is fantastic. It's, so it, it's using a sort of flat uh, you know polygon style that a lot yep. of games have been using now. But um, I think it's the combination of the the way they did the characters, where the characters don't even have faces. Right? Yeah, they just have a nose, basically. They just have a nose, um, and so it's it, the whole it's thing's, all body language. Yeah, it's all very body language based, and so it's very, um, it's almost like very gestural in, in the sense where it's just it's the broad strokes of how these all, things all feel, uh, except for the goose who feels like the most sort of like animus of all the all the things on <laughs> yeah. screen. Like, it, it really feels like everyone's just trying to do their shit. Yeah, and this then, goose, and then is you're just, just you're just being an asshole. Well, and also, you know these these poor people who you're harassing, like none of them are actually going to try to hurt the goose. No. You know, like it's not a combat game. Right. Like they're no. just going to – they they shoo the goose away from time to time and try to like get you to leave. Um, And they kind of like push you aside from time to time. But they never – No one act- picks up a rake and is like, I'm going to murder no, yeah, this goose. Yeah, nobody actually engages <laughs> yeah. in combat against the goose. Right. Which I feel like if a goose was getting at me for like an hour – so I'm just trying to do my shit. I would fight probably me. kick the There's shit. There's a out certain of point where, like, you can't, like, you, you're being assaulted by an animal yeah. for no reason. Mm. And after a while, I think a person would kind of just lose it. I'm just yes. hoping that that there are more untitled animal games of some sort uh, where you have yeah. just a very small list of verbs. Because the one I want to see, I don't know if you guys have seen these, but uh, fail videos involving goats ramming people is probably like yes. just the best thing. Uh, where a person is just standing there and you see a goat and then it squares up. They always back <laughs> yeah. up first. They're yeah, like, you know, I'm coming for this. And so they back up and they stand there for a second, put their head down, lock it, and then they're just turbo running at someone and just like knock them on their ass. And it doesn't ever, it doesn't damage a person. It's just I very, mean, I'm sure annoying. it can. I'm sure it can. But uh, it's just very frustrating, right? Well, and also like, the, the the specific way a goat hits, it usually will hit you like in the ass or in the side of the pelvis yep, yeah, because of their height. height. Yep. 
And that's that's your center mass. Yeah, they like just you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna recover from <laughs> yeah. that. You will be on the ground. It's I think uh, I, I hope there's a series of these that aren't just mm-hmm. goose games, right? But are you know take take the concept and just I hope they keep on working with it because yeah. it works for them. And it's great. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, there's no reason they couldn't have a whole series of. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and now they got all the tech made, and and, and they do some new tech, of course, for any new thing. But but I would also like to see a trash panda. I want to see mm. Untitled Moose Game. Untitled Moose Game. <laughs> yeah. I think no, that's they know what should kill people. They gotta be careful. Yeah, just by standing around. They'll yeah, I think the, the <laughs> trick is you need you need an animal that still feels like it's harmless because I think anyone who has interacted be good. Yeah, I think anyone who has interacted with a goose will think that it's harmless. Which of course geese are. Not. I think the obvious <laughs> next contender is Untitled Cat Game. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're stuff. always knocking shit yeah. off of things, and they can mm-hmm. get places people don't want them to be. Yep, and so that's where they just are mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, you need a lot of verticality in that in yeah. that version. Yeah, it opens the, up the goose a whole is nice dimension. The goose, the goose can't isn't allowed to fly, and it can't jump. Right, so you can kind of you're just on the ground. You yeah. just lock it to the ground, so that makes the puzzles. The puzzles can be complex and interesting, but without the designer having to figure out that's how to actually. I want to ask you about that because yeah. it's it's everyone knows that a goose can fly. Yeah. So how on earth did they, from a design standpoint, make it feel fine? That the goose cannot fly, especially because there's fences and shit. Yeah, I think it's with the yeah. with but you the have to like camera and with everything. It just it just kind of feels like it just all makes sense. Hmm. Like, I think there's also something about geese too, which is geese are the because they're they're, they're, they're these so big, heavy. yeah, and they kind of and they and they walk around. You know, they don't they don't even <laughs> seem like they should be flying. <laughs> you know? They're kind of large. Yeah, so I think it was a it was a good pick for the animal that they that they chose. Yeah. If, if you had something else in there, like a like a chickadee or something, like or a, little, or a pigeon or something, yeah. something that you think of with association with flying, because geese you think of like on a lake, and that's the only real right time you think about it. You know, like I, I can't even or standing in the middle of the road just looking at you. That's yeah, you, don't, you don't think of them as flying. I don't creatures. think of flying. It's like Canadian geese. I do just because we saw them migrating all the time mm-hmm. growing up. But yeah, but even then, most of the time we actually saw them, they were just. On the water, yep. You know they weren't flying or hanging out. So you just kind of accept it, like yeah, this, yeah, it just kind of makes sense. And then also you played Link's Awakening, the, yeah, the new, the, the new, so the remake on Switch of Link's Awakening, which I, which I saw is already on the top chart. Yeah, apparently it's it sold better than uh, Mario Maker. Yep, two did. Yeah, it's Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. It's just blown up a Game Boy game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to remember if this is the one because there, there was one Zelda game that I played on Game Boy growing up, it which was, was really the only Zelda game. That it I would played. be this one. This okay, that we did have this one. Yeah, uh, so that would be probably okay, it. So that was probably it. Um, but it's so it's a it's a remake, but it's true. It's a remake. It's not a remaster. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's truly a remake. Where uh, and and I don't remember enough of that original game to know how similar it is. Um, but uh, it's in it's in three D. And versus 2D. I like the art vibe. The art style is it's got, the, got tilt shift on it, you know, yeah. so I got the, the blur on the top and bottom to make it feel like really everything is small and it feels very claymation-y. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my only bone with that was their, uh, was the camera work because when you, they, they didn't animate the character turning. So if you hit right and left, it instantly does it, which mm-hmm. I think you need to probably for this game anyway. Um, but they also move the camera slightly depending. So if you're facing to the right, the camera uh, moves like 10 pixels over oh. you know, and, and they lurp it a tiny bit, but it goes so fast that as if you're kind of like flicking back and forth, yeah, it, it makes your the head. camera feel really oh. jittery and weird. Yeah. Um, so that, that's my only complaint about that part. But the, but the art style is, is very fun and very cool. Uh, and and again, I don't I don't remember enough of the original to know really what's the same and what's different. But it definitely it's it's obvious that a lot of stuff has to be different because it's things you know you'll walk into one of the little kind of uh, houses and you'll talk to the person and they'll talk about how much they want a Yoshi toy. 
like their kid really wants to see right. Yoshi toy, you know, and then you go play this mini game with a little grabber that you have to steer mm. and you can try to grab the Yoshi toy for the kid. Yeah, it was definitely not. Yeah. So, like this, so, <laughs> so I think I'm pretty sure it's departed significantly <laughs> yeah. from, from the original anyway. But, uh, but I think it's still, I still had this just vague vibe from my, my partial memory of having played this game on Game Boy a thousand years ago. And, and it interestingly kind of captures that, but just stops there. It doesn't mm. like nothing else is familiar at all, you mm. know, but because you're just in this small town, you're walking around. It's it, it really feels. I think it kind of captures that really effectively. Um, so yeah, recommend. I, I, I yeah, I, I I only played for an hour and a half or two hours, I think. So I didn't get very far into it. Um, but I was having a blast at least for that amount hmm. of time. Cool. Um, so yeah, but anyway, I think it was, it's interesting this sort of idea of a remake, you know, yeah. in this context because it's it's on a it's what twenty five years ago or something yeah. must have been. Or, we live in the age of reboots and remakes yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, and I think so. – and sometimes sometimes it's effective and sometimes it isn't, right? And, and there's also a remaster phase, right, which is basically taking the old thing, trying to keep it exactly as is and then just tuning it up, right? You know, for example, um, Warcraft 3 remastered is – is it out or is it coming? Oh, I don't, I don't know, know about that one. That's, yeah. It's happening. Mm, yeah. It's uh, the exact same story, exact same missions and units and everything. It looks awesome. Yeah, just basically visually updated yep. and everything. Yeah, because I think there's there's that part of the whole idea of something holding up or not, right? Which we which we see in movies all the time, where you you know you have some movie that you remember as a kid, and then you go watch it again as an adult, and you're like, holy shit, this is bad, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I rewatched and Tron Legacy recently, which wasn't very long ago. That was not long it was ago. like 2012, maybe or yeah. something like that. And uh, a lot of the CGI already does not hold <laughs> up. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, not not good. Not yeah, good. so you can see in those kinds of contexts where like a remaster makes sense if it's if it's a good movie that just suffers from you mm-hmm. know technology problems or something, right? Um, and there are other cases where some, somebody says, "Oh, actually, this whole thing was a good idea, and it held, and it and people loved it at the time, but it just is just objectively bad now, you right. know, <laughs> but yeah. given how far things so have come. Redo. So let's redo the whole thing, right. but sort of still try to capture that vibe that it originally had. Um, and so that's that's a lot more of what this thing is like. Where it is, it might as well just be its own thing, mm-hmm. right? I think they're they're still they're trying to capture though that, and I think I'm presumably the story is basically the same, and there's probably a lot of the same uh, locations and events and stuff. Um, and so if you were really familiar with that old Game Boy game, um, nothing about this would be surprising, but it still feels fresh. Is, I mean, very new and very yeah. different um, cool. because of the interaction with it. So I may have to. You know, I've been needing to. I've been wanting to play some more stuff on the Switch, so I'll have to. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was, yeah. My wife plays a fair bit of stuff on the Switch, and for there's something I don't know what it is. Like I always kind of drag my feet about it. I don't know what it is. I'm just so used to playing games on PC. Yeah, I think I that's think is what same it is. for me. Yeah, I feel very weird playing games on the couch. I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I feel like because the Joy Cons, you can lounge so hard because yeah, just, yeah, you can <laughs> be laying there like a cross pose on uh-huh. the couch like a starfish Look, or something Sam, playing video games as an as an MMO gamer. You I believe be hunched over. I believe games should be work. Okay, <laughs> you can't be lounging while you play. You got to be optimizing and min-maxing. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So we got two pieces of industry news. Uh, one is that the Apple Arcade launched, and the yeah. other is the Steam Library update. Yes. Okay. So Apple Arcade launched. We talked about this a little bit last week, but it was before it came out. Yes. So they have like seventy something games. It's a five dollar month subscription. It's gonna be. It's just on your iOS device, I think. Yes. I don't think you have to do anything. I think it comes with the iOS update. The new iOS so it's, update. I, I think it's not on, or maybe it is by the time this podcast goes live, but it, it didn't, it wasn't available on everything at once because they're rolling out the OS mm-hmm. update on different devices at a different time. Yeah. Uh, but I think by the end of the month, it's supposed to be yes. on everything. So by all accounts, 
raging success. Yeah. Um, like people are loving it. It's it's so cheap and the games are so good. It is very cheap. Uh, and I and I think the the one compl- I was reading a few different articles. The one chief complaint is the obvious one, which is uh, that if you want to keep playing any of the games, yeah, you've got to continue being a subscriber. Uh, but at five dollars a month, it, you know, yeah, it seems fine. It's, yeah. <laughs> and I think that might be part of the calculus too, right? Because if if you have an expensive subscription, then people are going to be constantly asking, should I should I should I keep subscribing? So say say like one month you got a lot of free time. There's a game you really like that just came into that. To the to the service and so that feels worth it you play the shit out of that game and then the month is coming to an end and you're like oh like you know do i really mm-hmm. do i really want to re-up this because there's not really any other games i feel like playing right now or i'm going to be busy or whatever but if it's five dollars a month it was cheap enough yeah, then you ridiculous. don't even worry about it's it i mean i know ridiculous. i pay three bucks a month for my todoist subscription yeah. which just gives me a checklist <laughs> like that's what it does yeah, no, it's, it's and, actually, that, and that was worth it it is yeah. ridiculously cheap my i would I would hope and I would assume that that price is going to go up in the future. It really uh, needs to. Because to me, this it has to be an entry-level entry sort of cost thing that they're doing yeah. right now um, because it, do, it honestly doesn't make any sense. Um, no, it doesn't. And the, and sheer, <laughs> the sheer volume of stuff you're getting is – Well, they're going to be, they're gonna be adding more. And, and, I, and I believe they're going to be rotating stuff out They will eventually. Well. So that's, that's where that well, – Well, actually – no, but will they though? Because there isn't – They definitely will. So all where the were they rotated into? That's the thing. That's what they'll need to answer the question, which is like what happens – how do you – if you, you have a game that you love, for example, it's in the service – uh, and then it's going to rotate out. Well, one thing we know, but at but least normally think. things rotate out into a paid version. That's right? what I'm saying. So like they, they'll need to figure that's out. That's probably what it would because because they're not they're not part of the app store. Yeah, that, they're yeah. in their own thing. Yeah, and so it's it's likely that there's going to be some kind of exclusivity period, yeah. right? And then once they rotate out of the catalog, then they would be able to just. But the interesting thing is, my understanding uh, is that that exclusivity period is really long. So in the whole idea of because yeah. usually when a thing rotates out, if you, if you're talking like. And this is all from what we understand from having talked to people who've and and historically seen stuff in other services. Um, typically, a thing's in there going to be in there for you know six months or a year, even a couple years, right? Yep. Um, before it rotates out, but 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 there's always a there's always an obvious place for it to go because like rotating yeah, out think, doesn't mean it's just gone. It just means it's now available in a different. Yeah, yeah I think well, I think format. there's probably not much of a concern there for the rotation thing because their their aim is going to be. I mean, like most of the subscription services aim to have a couple of hundred things in yeah. them all at once. And so my guess is they're probably not going to be building out that full catalog for like, it's going to be a couple of year project to get that fully, you know, going. Yeah, I think by the time they get to the end of that, yeah, then they'll figure out. Right. And so, and so this, this only works really if they actually keep the introduction of new games to be fairly yeah. slow. But this is the interesting thing though, is that because all these games came out at once. Yeah. And so a lot of them actually were, uh, were games that had, well, they had exclusivity on the arcade versus something like Google. Um, the app store, or the sorry, the Google Play Store. Uh, most of them also, you know, launched on Switch or launched on Steam or something like that. And so suddenly, actually, um, the day the arcade launched, like six, seventy games, games came out yeah. all over the place, and uh, and a lot of them very high quality games. And so it was this yeah. really interesting, like sort of thump, like all of these games kind of uh, kind of flew into the pocket there. Um, but interestingly for me, so I I have I have uh, played with my wife's iPhone. And I've always found it very – it is a very pleasant experience to play through. Uh, on top of that, it's got some extra bells and whistles that I've never quite had on my Android device. And so I was like, no, oh, might be fun. But I've never I've never just felt the itch to go get one. Yeah, con- content-wise, there was never you know, yeah, quite never something where you'd be like, I just literally can't have this yeah. on And I think the interesting point of exclusives is what are they for? And, and oftentimes they are to sell hardware in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And weirdly enough, I'm going to be honest – 
the arcade is a very interesting proposition for me. And it's weird because would have, you'd have to go buy a damn phone, which of course costs like a billion dollars. Uh, to get that $5. Yeah, it's not really $5. Well, and again, this is the Jevons paradox at work here, right? Which right. is like now it's so cheap for you to get uh, these games that now you're willing to spend a shitload more money to right. get the cheapness. Right. Because right? yeah. <laughs> right. like how much money are you spending on mobile games now? Literally none. Exactly. Yeah. But the, pr- the promise of, of only spending $5, which is more than you're currently spending – is is making but you it's consider not a, it's spending not about like a thousand dollars? But that's the thing is, it's not about the price. It's about the it's about the games, that's right? Because there there just aren't that many good games on mobile, right? And that fall, it's, it's good games that fall into that category, which yeah. is which is games that are designed as these big experiences. Yeah. Well, this this done. is what I want to really get into about this, which is uh, we we're we're reaching a breaking point in the games industry with uh, what we, I guess you call open storefronts, mm-hmm. which is on Google Play, on the App Store, on Steam now. Uh, anybody can make a game and put it on there. And we've talked in the past about how this is both a great thing and a terrible thing, right? Because, mm-hmm. of course, if if it's you and you've got your game, it's great. Yep. Uh, Although, actually, it probably isn't. Well, no, I mean, it's great for you to to, to have that opportunity, to, you, know, yeah. you know. But um, it, but it's not great for you in the sense that you're probably not going to make any money. Having exactly. Well, that's the terrible part. Yeah. It's, and, and, the, and one of the big reasons you're not going to make any money is because everybody else has the same opportunity, yeah. right? Um, so the great thing is the bad thing. And... And what you what you can see is if you go to Steam DB or the or the top grossing uh, or not top but it's like the top top games charts on Google Play or on App Store, those are are cemented. They're on lock. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like that. Like if you look at the top ten, top twenty games, I would guarantee you that most of them, if not three quarters, are like four years old at least. Grand Theft Auto Five is still like just, it's still like yeah. the number four game on Steam. <laughs> Counter Strike, Skyrim, uh, Warframe, which is from 2013. Mm. Skyrim, Minecraft, of course, Minecraft. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Clash of Clans, Candy Crush, yep. Subway Surfers, which is from 2012. You know, like the top games just are the top games on those platforms, and the and the platforms have so many games coming into them that they have to be driven by algorithms. Mm-hmm. There's no way that a person could curate seven thousand. Well, unless you take the Nintendo approach, which and they're not getting nearly as many games, but their approach is basically to do human curation for a tiny number of games and then just the rest just go in the pile. And yeah, there right. actually is no alg- algorithmic curation. Which Apple does also. Do they? Actually, I guess I don't know because I don't, I don't actually get to search Apple devices. So I don't, I don't know. Well, no, in, in the I sense that – okay, I, I, I don't know how heavy they are in algorithms. Actually, no, because I mean algorithm in the sense that there are different charts you can look at that show you – you know. Yeah, they, oh, yeah. They, no, that's, there's, there's, that's, there's a lot of algorithmic stuff. Algorithm. But yeah, my, yeah. my point being that Switch literally has none yes, of that. Just none. Yeah. It's just you're either featured – again, and you're one of the like six games where that's featured mm-hmm. – or you're just in a pile, yeah. right? But what we're seeing is is now um, the the prevalence of supply of games on these storefronts undermines the value of the whole store, yeah. right? And so, so it reaches a point where even if you do have a team of, of, of specialists who are curating games to, to pick for feature spots or whatever, at a, at a certain point, it just doesn't matter anymore because of the race to the bottom of prices and the huge glut of low-quality uh, submissions to the, to the store. Mm-hmm. So now what we're, we're entering, I think the age of curation as in like new platforms that not, not even like updates to existing platforms. Cause those are, they're sort of broken. Now. Yeah, the problem is like, it's, it's hard to take something away. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, so now you've got like on, on PC, we now have the Epic store popping up as the curated, uh, like low volume, but high quality competitor to steam. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there that, really is on like on the Epic Store. There's only good to medium stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. right. And medium is it's always one of those subjective things. You know, it's like it actually mm-hmm. might be actually like truly good for some people. Who knows? Um, but yeah, this that storefront just has just a ton of good shit on it. Yeah, and a lot of it comes up free 
Well, this is the know, weird. So all of it comes up. Yeah, <laughs> I want to mention this. So because I think Epic strategy is is working so far, at least for me personally, as someone who just, you know plays plenty of PC games. Um, because every two weeks they're like, hey, here's some new stuff. Here's uh-huh. some new free games. And this past week was ridiculous. They dropped six six Batman games. Yeah, the entire Arkham series and the entire Lego Batman series. And if you never played any of the Lego games, oh, the Lego ones are so they're good. so good. They're so good. They're so good. But it was weird because I was like, is this real? Like now I just looked at my library. I, the thing is, I haven't even installed all these games. Right? Yeah, I've just sort of checked. I'm like, yeah, give me that. Um, <laughs> yeah, give me that. But <laughs> most of them are games that are award winning that I haven't actually played before. So stuff mm-hmm. like Fez, never actually played it. Um, saw the movie, you know, but didn't play it. Uh, and then now this Bat- Batman Arkham, which I is a game that I would never buy, but definitely would play, if that makes sense, um, in terms of checking it out. And so now I actually just, I do have a library on Epic all the well, time. But the other thing that they did, so it's not only, because because they're choosing these very high rated, uh, lots of, of indie titles, um, uh, then they're also recreating, because you've got your, because a lot of what you're, a lot of the problem that they have is that you already have your Steam library, right? And you don't mm-hmm. want to leave that behind. Yeah. Um, but if they can take all the stuff that is likely to already be in your Steam yes. library, right? Exactly. So that you basically get to recreate your like all the best parts of your Steam library, but now this other storefront, then now the need for you to have both storefronts actually goes lower and lower and lower. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's already the case right now that, uh, and, and of course, because they, they're not going to have Valve games over there. Yeah. And they're not going to have, they're not going to, there's a whole bunch of games that they're never going to have. They're not going to have Dota, they're not going to have Counter-Strike, Team Fortress, yep. Portal, yep. Any all those kinds of things. Yeah. But if you're not, if you're not regularly playing those, then in principle, they could really get all the other good stuff over there eventually. Once once they open the doors um, and, and are not as focused on exclusives and free titles. If they still just focused on only the good stuff, right, and and limited volume, yeah, limited volume, you know, then then they could basically recreate what is Steam, and then they could play this game where they can they can essentially just get you set up so that you don't need to go to Steam anymore because most of what most of what's in our Steam libraries is stuff we don't play anyway. Yes. Right? Well, this uh, speaking of so the library update uh, came out on Steam, or in fact, you can opt into it via Steam's beta thing, and uh, this is super fun. So I turned it on, and I wanted to just check out. Basically, it allows you to actually sort your library of games. Yeah. So I've been on Steam. And you can make shelves and stuff. You can so you filter can, stuff yes, out. Filter things. So I've been on Steam, I think, since it, it was a thing. Yeah. Uh, because like we got it for Half-Life. Yeah, I got it for the orange box. Yeah. Yeah. It was the orange box that we got in there for. Um, and so there's just – I just got a ton of games in there. And it allows you to basically dig into your library a little bit and see both what you actually play the most, uh, which was very fascinating to me. Because I've always thought about myself as a, very, as a pretty well-rounded – Sort of gamer, and while I've played a ton of different things, the games that always get my most of my attention uh, fall into basically two broad categories, which is open world RPGs uh, and like occasionally shooting stuff or like hack and slash. Those are my things. Which is weird when you think about Crashlands because it's like it's essentially it's an open world crafting game where, where you, you beat up. Beat up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was a very interesting sort of like you could look at your actual playtime, right, and see like what do you really like in terms of the, the games that you you enjoy. Uh, and then on top of that, you can sort by the games that you have not played, mm-hmm. which I didn't manage to do, but you did, Seth. Yeah, it was a lot. Well, cause a lot <laughs> yeah. of it came out of uh, bundles. Like, I, like I'd see a Star Wars bundle, not necessarily through Humble or something, but even just through Steam, um, where they'd say, like, oh, we got 20 Star Wars games. And I'd kind of scan the list and be like, ooh. I remember playing because like one of them was episode one pod racer from Nintendo 64. Oh, dude. Yeah. And the whole bundle was five bucks and it's 20 Star Wars games. And I'm like, well, I don't know about these other games. But pod like, racer. Do you want that pod so racer? Good. Does it hold uh, up? No, it does not oh, hold really? up That's what I at all. Um, <laughs> Dang. There's also an old, uh, an, an old <laughs> X-Wing. Remember that X-Wing game we used to play a lot oh, of yeah. as yeah. kids? You I know? think I might have that too. Yeah, because I, I either saw a video of it or played it in some context a few years ago and 
did all, not hold up. Also terrible. Yeah, not even close. Yeah. What's funny is all of those games now would be mini games inside of an open world game. That yeah. They would make. Yeah, and it would take a week to put them together yep. uh, with modern engines and, and practices. Um, upsetting. Uh, yeah, so – and then I, I think at one point I also bought a Humble Bundle that did have like 80 games in it. And I was like, I'm just going to redeem all these keys. And, <laughs> and I did. Uh, and I <laughs> forgot about almost all of them. Uh, it was like a $20 bundle. And mm. so, yeah, I've, I've got at least like 100 games that just come that just came from two bundles that I've never played pretty much any of them. Right. Um, so that's a that's a thing. Weird. But I mean, that, that does because we know that uh, statistically uh, Valve has reported that fewer than half of games purchased are ever installed. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we can see this at our end. Like, so when we do a sale, so we were in the Game Maker sale this weekend, for example. When we do a sale, we can see we sell way more units than usual. Right. Awesome. Cool. But you actually don't see an, you don't see a relative influx of players at all equivalent to the total number of sales you've made. Yeah. Which is always it's odd. like if your sales numbers go by 10x, your players might go up by 2x. Yeah. You know, because the other people are like, oh, yeah, real, I better snag this real quick while it's on sale. Uh-huh. And they buy it and then they, yeah. Well, and the interesting, <laughs> interesting point of comparison is back when we had Steve do, the, do that video about yeah. Levelhead, the everything was, was proportional. It yes. was like one to one. It was like one to one. People, like, bought, people bought the game and played yeah. it. And, and that was, so that, there's that interesting difference between somebody coming and buying the game because. They heard about it and they want it. They know about it and they, and they want to play this game so they're buying it to play it mm-hmm. versus people who are interested in it but need it to be on sale or, or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Because they're not actually looking to play it. They're just looking for the right time to get it so that they can play it later. So they right? can check it out. So they can check it out at some point, right? Yeah. And I mean I'm certainly guilty of this. Um, although in the past few years, I've, I'm much less sensitive to sales. Um, I'm just more likely to actually refund stuff, which I think makes perfect sense because it, it essentially functions like a demo at that point. You just, yeah. You're like, oh, I'm really two hours. Yeah, you yeah. put sort of you put your deposit down, right? And then you get the game, check it out, and yep. you're like, eh, yeah, whatever. And yeah. And I think the base refund rate on Steam is like eight to ten percent or something yeah. like that. It's usually like one out of ten people buy a game, and they're like, meh, but then they just send it's it. honestly that's probably where I'm at with my games where I'm like, eh. yeah. Sometimes I buy one, I'm like, this honestly, I'd rather have my twenty dollars back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that is it's interesting. We definitely recommend everybody check that out. Um, we'll probably have more to say about that uh, next week, but I but I think the the big thing about uh, the current state of the market that I think everybody should just kind of be be watching is the rise of these alternate curated storefronts and new business models because yep. it's happening. Yep, and uh, and it may even be like in the case of Apple, like nobody can sell games on iOS, so Apple had to come up with their own competing storefront to their own store. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> uh, PC yep. it's looking a little bit different. Don't know what's going to happen on Android, but it it at least at the time that the Epic Store appeared, uh, Epic was talking about making an Android store. Yeah, we don't really know what that's going to look like. Yeah, they've. I'm trying to remember the last thing they said about it. The last thing they've said about any of their tech roadmap was basically uh, (laughs) sometime. (laughs) Yeah, we're yeah we're busy. I think that is uh, it was one of those things that they said that they were going to. They were originally going to do by the end of this year. The Android store. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure it's just completely off the map. One thing we know about yeah, Epic is they're very busy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And they got and a lot going on. Fr- frankly, working way too hard. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But I mean, I, I think there's there's all these there's these holes in the market, both from a developer perspective, which is developers are now really worried about being able to make money yep. uh, and get their games noticed. And then there's also players are getting really tired of sifting through three trillion games before they find the one yep. that they want. And so this is the natural extension of that yeah. i mean yeah it is that case too right because if you think back in the the old steam days where i was like i would i would put up steam at several times a week just to see yeah, what, what, the, what was on the game was that came out in the past couple of days yeah exactly uh, or even the handful of games as, as steam went on 
um, because they were all going to be really good and interesting, right? Um, and now I just basically I you always land on the front page, but I just go I go right to my library to play an existing game. I don't even look at what else what is out yep. um, because the chances of it being something that is both good and something that I'm interested in is just near zero, you know. Yeah. Versus opening up the Epic Store where pretty much everything on there now, like still, of course, I'm not going to play most of it because I'm not going to play every game that comes out. Um, and I've got my interest just like everybody does. But everything that comes out, I'm like, oh, I can see myself playing. That, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, actually, I think in, back in 2012, uh, no, 20, 2011, I had uh, sent a game to Valve and pitched it to go onto Steam. And they were like, no, this is not good. <laughs> and in retrospect, that was the right move. Yeah, that was, that was the right move for them. Um, but right, nowadays, right I could have just dropped 100 bucks and had that game on Steam. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and sort of uh, that would have been you that. You could do it, right? You could go find that Alexa I could go drag that up. That game onto Steam. Yeah, yeah. That, that 30 uh, FPS uh, weird uh, platformer with 10 levels. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I could yep. do that. So, all right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Scale Plexus. If I were to 3D model and print one game asset from your IP, what would you guys like to see? Ooh. Three, one Just asset one. from any of the games. Bingo. Oh, uh, yeah. Fucking bingo love the bingo. starfish. I want a full-size. Full-size? A full-size 3D printed model of the Maw, which is the final. Oh, the giant the axe. The giant axe from Crashlands. It's got to be at least a hundred pounds. Weapons, what you want? Yes, mm-hmm. I want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably less of a three D printing thing and more of a like construction project. Exactly. Probably. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I want. He has it what I want. It's what I want. Huge axe. It's like yeah. I think it's the width of basically a man. I think it's taller than Flux, which means the axe is probably at least six, yes. possibly seven feet long. Yeah. That's a big thing. And it is a one-hander because mm-hmm. Flux is very strong. <laughs> that suit. Yeah. Yeah. Number does. That's cool. All right. Next question comes from Gua. Do you believe there's a place for small games on Steam or is it better to invest time into development of a bigger game? By small games, I mean games that are made by a one- to two-person team in less than a year of non-crunch development. Uh, I think 100% depends on what the game is. So yep. if you look at something like Islanders, which is a small game made by a small team um, – they hit a niche and they nailed it. Uh, this is like basically a super chill. Uh, it, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. You, you ba- you're basically, you get a little island and then you build a town on it. And the, each of the buildings that you put down has sort of requirements about what buildings you need to be next to or optimizations about if it's next to these buildings, you get more money when you put it down, this sort of thing. And so there's definitely room for, I guess there's room for really good games that are in a niche. I think if you're trying to do something that is actually a big game, with a small team in a short period of time, then absolutely not, right? Because if you're if you're boiling if you're trying to boil down like a, a giant RPG, for example, uh, and you're making it into a quote unquote small game somehow, um, then you're probably gonna have a bad time. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's not just that; it's also that what are the, what opportunities are there for you? So, like, why would you specifically focus on Steam? This is something I'm wondering because I feel like people are just building games just for Steam when they frankly should be putting them on mobile. Yep, I'm gonna be honest. Like a lot of the games I see on Steam, I'm like, why didn't you put this on mobile? Right. You could have actually had a, you know, a chance at making some money, at least Possibly. getting some followers. Uh, well, I think he had basically the same chance, or at least yeah. Well, or it's, at least, it's not even. I mean, it's, to me, Steam and, and uh, Steam and mobile are now equivalent markets. Yep. In mm-hmm. terms of the kinds of games that are on there, uh, yep. the, the, the scope of the of games, money, how hard, how crowded the markets are. They've they've sort of, even though it's the case that it's like one 
maybe one tenth of the games or even le- even it's less, less is coming on Steam. Yeah. They've like it's still past the threshold yeah. where the numbers matter because the difference between a hundred games coming out in a day and two thousand, there's no difference at that point. Mm-hmm. There's still just way too there's many, too many. Yeah. Uh, and being noticed is really hard. So, so I think I think the bigger question there is like if you make a big game, then what opportunities are available to you that weren't otherwise there? Mm-hmm. And and that comes down to these these curated stores, right? Which is like uh, the to me the the business model going forward is make something that a that a curated storefront would be willing to just give you money for mm-hmm. and do that yep. uh, versus just throwing your game into the pile, yeah. which is the, but also depending on that curated thing because also or a service or whatever depending on that thing they may not be looking necessarily for large. Things it's like even even Apple Arcade, they're looking for unique. Wait, stuff. It's, not, it's not about size. It's, it's not, about, yeah, I think I think, about about I think, quality, I think right? to me size is the wrong thing to be focusing on with this question, which is it's purely about quality and uniqueness, and those are the two things that matter. Um, because nobody knows how big a game is until they play it, and then at that point they're only upset if they felt like they paid for more, you know, time or whatever mm-hmm. than they actually got. Yeah, it's like if Goose Game is like eight hours. Mm-hmm. To get through all the checklists of, mm-hmm. of being a dick, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that's but also, fine. But they also have they have like after you beat the game, there's still you can then go back through and there's like harder challenges that you can do. So mm-hmm. it still goes Hardcore on even after that, yeah. So uh, which was Noobs which was a plus, yeah, which was an important move for them too for exactly this reason, which is that uh, I'm not sure, not even sure what they're selling it for, but for for whatever it is, there is always going to be that segment of people that are just like, oh, this is a 12 hour game or an eight hour game or whatever. I paid 20 bucks for it. Yeah. That's too much. There's always those people, but if you make the game kind of feel like it doesn't quite end, you know, then you can kind of just brush that <laughs> complaint aside. Um, yeah, it's just it isn't about it's just not about length. And if if you so if you look at the Apple Arcade, the games that are in there, most of them are actually quite small in terms yeah, of, of them are short. Yeah, they're or short is the right yeah. word, right? But the quality of all of them is very high. Their aesthetic quality, their aesthetic, high. yeah, and they're and I don't even know if their gameplay is any good, honestly. Me like, neither. Because they look, they look <laughs> damn delicious. They're, they're, they're meant really to, good. they're meant to sell retina displays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, so they look great, which is the that's how you sell a game in the first place, right? Um, and I, I don't know, actually, do you know an Apple Arcade if they have visible reviews? I have no idea. I don't actually know if they. You can get a device, we can look at the thing. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the va- yeah the value of reviews goes down dramatically if you, you already if you already it. have the yeah. game. You well, know? Yeah, like you've got it on. Yeah, like you don't have so. reviews on Netflix. You, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, and with Epic, you know, they which of course players hate, but there's no reviews there. And mm-hmm. I don't even know if they ever plan to. Um, I think they've they've said vaguely that they it's something they're going to do. It but is. but the interesting thing there is that they need to make a decision only based off of the assets. You know, so mm-hmm. like you go look at there's there's a game that I was looking at on there that I didn't know anything about. It was only on Epic. And so I was trying to find out if it was any good, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. and I, and I, and there was no, I, I literally, there was no way for me to make that judgment, but of course there isn't really any way because reviews are, reviews aren't going to reveal yep. to you well, whether it's going to be good for you. Right? Now, one thing we know about reviews, we know this is that people almost never read positive reviews. Yeah. Yes. You always look at the negative reviews. You look see. at the yeah. score yeah. and if you're like, oh, 90% or yep. 95 or whatever, and you're like, a lot of people must like this. What's wrong with the other five? Yep. Yeah. And like, would I agree with those people? Because yep. you already have, at that point, you've already kind of decided like, yeah, it seems like this would be my game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then all you do is you jump to negative reviews, which is like a weird collection of of like idiosyncratic demands, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, well, it's big because in some cases it's not. In some cases they're fairly aligned, you know, so there's that, yeah. that the Spyro trilogy remaster. Um, the common theme among those negative reviews was was data, was progress loss. Mm. Right, right. Which people were really angry about, and, and actually, the, the the negative reviews that like, they still have an, like a an, a 
overall positive, like very positive score, I think. Um, but even still, every time I see it, I'm just like, what What are the downsides? What are the things that people yeah, don't like? That's right? what you want to know. And this one, it was universally. People were like, oh, yeah, I played the game for hours. And then like, when, and then I, the next time I booted it up, I was at 0% progress. You know? Brutal. Uh, and so that's the kind of thing I like to use that for because like, otherwise, like you're saying, everything is just completely idiosyncratic. This player wants this. This other player wants the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And, and they both they're say, both really pissed off about it. Right. <laughs> they, both, they both wouldn't recommend the game because of two completely opposite opinions. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you do get a lot of that kind of stuff, but, uh, I, I mean, I personally have found that the presence of reviews generally makes my, ex- my overall experience of most things worse. Yeah. You know? Well, cause even on, even on, cause Netflix, you know, they, they eventually collapse it down to just the upvote downvote system, you know? Yep. Um, but even that, I'm not sure. All I, don't, the, I don't even look at that anymore. Well, they, like don't, they don't show to you. They just, they just show you. They just still show the percent. They, yeah, yeah. But they, they're like, this is an 80% match to your to the stuff that you like to watch. Yeah. Um, and and I think probably on the whole that's actually a bad thing because I look at my because my wife watches different kinds of stuff on average than I do and so whenever we're going through her queue to try to find something to watch there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm like oh yeah I'd watch a whole bunch of this but it doesn't show up in my queue because it's not above eighty percent you know mm-hmm. line right. with the stuff because the for. algorithms need to create self reinforcing yeah. feedback loops so back yeah. to the question uh, yeah I think there's room for small games on on Steam but it's all the quality there is question. because you're asking the wrong question yeah. Yeah, it's a quality question. There's always room for more games on Steam. Yep. Yep. They will continue to expand their <laughs> yeah. their servers. Yep. Uh, all right. So we can do one real quick last one from Fly Hoppy Axe Rampa. My senior year of high school, I, I made a Mega Man clone using Visual Basic. Nice. Do you have any examples of a time you brute forced your way through a task using what you know is clearly the wrong tool set? 100%. But succeeded anyway. Doesn't necessarily have to be game dev related. Yeah, so with the final project in my design class, the one that I did basically the precursor before I started making games was you we had to use Excel to basically make a it was supposed to be like a life log of some sort. And so but it had to look really good and it had to function almost it basically had to be a website, the best way to think about it, functionally. So you would boot it up. Uh, you open it up and it just looks awesome. You could do things like in my case, um, I had five different tabs. You could add books that you just read. So you hit add book and then you type in the thing or you, sorry, you type in the thing then you hit add book and it does this macro to build it out, put it in the, in the, in the thing below and then build out a little bar graph for all sorts of things. I had like skills trackers. I had all sorts of things in there. Was this a website you were making? It's like a, yeah, it's like achievements basically. That was like a personal. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a different thing. Um, but yeah, this one was made, it was made purely in Excel. This is, mm-hmm. you're not, why would you do this? Yeah, that's in not Excel. right. But actually you can do it though. That was the thing. It was, <laughs> it was very useful because there are there are actually very few – because Excel is a grid-based program, right? So mm-hmm. if you go to, to build a website, um, most of the of the frameworks you use to make your CSS easier to manage are grid-based frameworks, mm-hmm. right? So you have Bootstrap. You've got some of those blueprints. Some of the well, other and now we have – for modern stuff, you now have just CSS grid. Right. Which so, is built into CSS. So the best part is if you want to build – if you want to get a taste of web design – uh, and just design in general, actually, weirdly enough, I think Excel is a good place to start because it's got a grid and you can do all the font work. You can change the color of every single grid space. Um, you can do conditional formatting. Conditional things. formatting. You can make macros that make it so you hit a button and things happen. I will um, say it, it, it was very absolutely useful. drives me nuts when, I, when somebody shows me a spreadsheet that they've made and they haven't taken the effort of making it aesthetically pleasing. pleasing. Yeah. It's so easy. Yep. You know, you just select a cell and you're like, this is gray now. Yep. Or like, these are bold. These are headers. Which is funny because so I actually, I don't, I don't see it the same way at all because the thing that annoys me is every time I see a spreadsheet that is effectively anything more complex than a CSV file. 
you know, because I'm like the moment is more complex. I'm like you should have used a, you should have written a program for this. It's always like mm-hmm. in my well, brain, no, like, no, which I know is not true. Yeah, because well, that's Excel a crazy is, thing to think. It does have. I mean, it, it does. Yeah, it has all those all those features. If yeah, but, but it's, it's the same idea as what like what Sam was saying with you know he used all this stuff to make mm-hmm. like. And the moment you start talking about all the things that you did, then I'm, I'm like in my mind, I'm going through the checklist of all the things that would have been so much easier. But right? it's the weird thing. But it's only that, if you know those. Other yeah, things. it's it's not. They're not approachable at all. Exactly. Because right? yeah. to, to be able to do something like that in Python or in fucking HTML, like you have to get Lamp and XAMPP installed in your machine back in the day, and then yeah. put PHP it, like do all this stuff as opposed to just having Excel and yeah, put yeah. stuff in. And, and this stuff um, has gotten, and, and this is all an accessibility problem, yes, right? Uh, is everything has gotten way easier than it used to be? Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem, I think the the sort of the the secret problem with all of this is that the moment you start using the wrong tool for the job, uh, you're, you get you get locked into that tool, right? Uh, and at some point, if you're continuing to develop and use that tool, you're going to need to rebuild it, which is what happened with like Bscotch ID, right? Had to just nuke it, build a new one. Um, but all the things that are happening behind the scenes that you're not even aware of in terms of changes out in the ecosystem of software available mm-hmm. to you and programming languages and so on is invisible because you're not looking at it because you're busy using whatever your yeah, tool working. is, right? Yeah. Uh, and so if you pop your head up every once in a while, just to kind of see what the landscape looks like, because even today, so I go back, I started working on, uh, on Rumpus two years ago now, or a little more even, mm-hmm. uh, so a little over two years ago. And, and there are a whole bunch of things that if I had started that project now today, given my knowledge, but also given the changes in all the tool sets, I would be using, di- I would be using different tools, different tools yeah. for a whole bunch of stuff. But now you'd be even more busy because of the Jevons paradox. <laughs> I will. I'd be doing, I mean, who knows what I'd be doing. Or but, you'd be doing the exact same. But it's, but it's not about busyness. It's about, it's about how, how pleasing it is to do the work, right? Because yeah, you can do all these things in Excel, mm-hmm. but holy fuck, is it actually harder? If no, you, this, this, this is what I'm trying to get at is from an intro standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Be able to just do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, I mean, it's harder if you already know how to do the yes, other stuff. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the, it's this interesting thing is that you can only use the tools you have available, right? Yeah. So the short answer to this question is yes, we've all made stuff in a very difficult way because mm-hmm. we you can only use the tools that you know. Yep. And yeah. even further, if you're not familiar with a huge array of tools and the kinds of problems that they can solve, even just like aware of them. Right. Then you couldn't even know what tool you should go learn to go solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so I think that's the the answer to this for every every human being is, yes, in fact, all of the tools that I'm using in this moment to solve all the problems that I have right now are actually examples of what are not. Question. Well, and, and if you want to take this sort of in a more existential way. Uh, so this is like the question is kind of framed in a tech way. Yeah. But uh, everything that you do is some kind of a tool to achieve some kind of an end. Yep. Right? Uh, and a lot of times you don't really think about what your goals actually are. And there's a pretty good chance that most of the things that you do are not the right tool for the job and that you're brute forcing your way through many things. Mm-hmm. Honestly, all of them are. Right? Yeah. Because think, think about somebody who's an expert at a tool and is using it exactly correctly. Like it, it lines up perfectly with the, the problem they're trying to solve, right? Uh, is there an example of that where there isn't more to learn, you know, yeah, where yeah. you can't get better, where you couldn't do a better job of defining the problem that you're solving? Uh, there isn't one mm-hmm. in any, like in any, in any context. Well, it's back uh, to the Jevons paradox thing, which is basically expertise, right? So as you, as you get further in mm-hmm. to a craft of some sort, there's whether it's Excel to go. or art or program, yeah. whatever, there's always, you just start realizing, oh, there's more things that I didn't know that now I need to go do. Now I've yeah. got even more. Uh, my to-do list grows instead of – I mean we talk about this with our Trello board. Yeah. Like it just keeps getting longer. And then we have to go – like monthly we have to go through and, and purge Call stuff it. out yep. of it because um, it's stuff that seemed important at the time. But yeah. But I mean I mean, I think even thinking about uh, health, 
or something, mm-hmm. which is like, you know that you need to exercise and that's a, that's a tool that you have available to you in order to, uh, you know, feel better, become healthy, longer. feel better, reduce stress, be able to walk upstairs, live longer, being able to walk upstairs without becoming winded. That's my, my primary goal with, phys- with physical fitness is that one. When you walk upstairs, just feeling the same at the top as yep. you did at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm still working mark. on that one. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but of course we don't, you know, mm-hmm. and and instead we we just kind of brute force our way through all the different things that are that happen throughout the day with essentially like patterns of habit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We're just like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, and I'm just going to hope that it works out for me in the end, at least in some degree or whatever. But even uh, if you did, you know, the fact is the the amount of science that we or the amount of stuff that we truly know about exercise physiology and you know like. There's there's a reason those are ongoing academic fields, right? It's because we don't know jack shit about those things. Like we know a lot, but we also don't know anything, right? And so even when it comes to trying to just trying to be healthy, like there's always no matter what you're doing, there's always going to be a better way you're just not aware of yet, right? And and you'll never be able to reach the end of that. Um so yeah, so 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 the, the short answer to this question is you are always using the wrong tool for the job and you're always doing the, <laughs> you're always doing the wrong job. Well, right? it's not really the wrong tool though. I guess I would just disagree. Because I mean like programming, for example. Like, or you can say you you're always using the right tool. You can do it either yeah, way. Because as long as you're you doing do it, shit. You can say it either <laughs> yeah. way. The point is there's always a mismatch between your tool and the yeah, problem. Yeah, 100%. Always. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Um, and, and the question of – right, I think I – because think, the thing that you're saying is that you don't like the idea of the right and wrong parts, which I think you're correct. Because it's not necessarily right, – it's, it's a fit question. Like you, does you this use, allow you to get the job done? Yes or no. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it is all – this needs to be forward-looking too. And that's mm-hmm. a question like if I solve the problem using this tool right now right. – is that sufficient or is that going to create a problem, right? Um, and, and a lot of times, though, you can't actually know because the answer to that question is still always yes, you know? Yeah. No matter how you solve a problem now, even if you do a good job of it, it's going to create a problem later. Mm-hmm. Jevonsed. Jevonsed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Costa, for putting the podcast together. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. And uh, to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have uh, links to everything, questions you can submit and upvote, all that good stuff. And, of course, uh, we'd like to see everybody at Shenanigans. Well, not everybody. We don't have that much space, but I'm pretty really, good We would like people. to see everybody there. <laughs> we like to see – Practically, that's yeah. not going to happen. We would like to see everyone at Shenanigans. <laughs> uh, so to get your tickets, just go to meet.bscotch.net and our next episode will be recorded live, live. at Shenanigans. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you at Shanicon. Goodbye. Bye.